Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landway. All right. Well, I'm really excited for this episode of the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. It's been a long time coming. And yeah, really, really excited about the work that Gramina Vikas Kindrom Society is doing, GVK. And um, Rebecca, thanks for joining to, to in, in another episode here. Um, I know you've been working with them closely, so it'll be nice to have your insights. And um, yeah, Rebecca, maybe I'll pass it over to you to, um, to share a little bit about context, and then we can uh, go, go a layer deeper with Anil and Sane. Sounds great. Thanks, Gregory. We get to go, we get to go real deep with them because they do such incredible work on the ground. Um, so we have here a grantee that really touches on the deep community-based and scientific work that we want to see in the world and we want to connect with at R&D. And Gramina V. Kendrum Society is a, a nonprofit org, and I'll let, I'll let them describe themselves uh, as they will better, but they blend entrepreneurship and social responsibility in the Andhra Pradesh region of South India. And I am constantly impressed by not just what they do, but how much they do and how deeply tied it is to the voices of the the smallholders on the ground. Um, and so the the layers of work um, that touches with region network um, is developing eco credits um, and doing kind of scientific exploration. And it's all very much woven together. In a way, it's part community development, it's part storytelling, it's part scientific discovery, um, it's part giving voice to bridging web two and web three. Um, so there's a lot to dig into here. Um, in my mind, it's talking about what's happening on the ground and then talking about what's happening um, with these kind of higher level barriers and challenges and visioning that they have. So I'd love to introduce um, Anil and Sane and have you all tell us um, of your role uh, within GVK, some background, um, and then we can dig into the work itself. Anil, you want to start us off? Thank you, Rebecca and Greg. Thank you, Regin. It's, it's, it's been really great collaboration with you. And last week, uh, your team was here, here visiting farmers, and we had a great time together, you know, thinking and dreaming about you know, how, how best we can contribute to the entire regenerative movement across the globe. And my name is Anil Kumar, and I am um, the founder of I would like to put it that way because we are doing multiple programs slash projects uh, under the organization. We are a hybrid impact organization. That means we are an NGO and multiple private limited companies taking care of, um, you know, market-driven regenerative and circular agricultural supply chain designing and implementation. And we definitely believe in innovation you know, uh, that can uh, that can uh, be very useful in rural transformation. Especially in the context of our collaboration with region, uh, we are working with small, marginal, and tribal women farmers on the ground to promote regenerative organic cotton, which has a twin benefit, that is improving or strengthening livelihoods while regenerating the environment around these uh, vulnerable farming communities back in Andhra Pradesh. 
and I'm very glad to connect here and share our experiences. But what I see here is this collaboration so, so far has been very stimulating because we are learning a lot because, you know, the world that the region is in, we, are, we have absolutely no clue about that. Of course, we are rooted in villages. We work directly with farmers and I, I have immense gratitude to you guys. Thank you very much. I don't know how I can top this, but my, my name is uh, Sonne. I'm a, a Dutch national, but uh, living and working in India now since the past uh, four years. Actively involved with uh, Gamina Vikas Kendram uh, for the last eight years even, I think. So Anil and me, we studied together in, in Wageningen, uh, where we studied uh, organic agriculture. And that's, uh, that's really, for me, where the journey uh, started. So I have... Uh, really great fascination about uh, how things are made. I have a great um, fascination for how things are are made, and especially when it comes to connecting really the the seeds, the agriculture, all the way through the supply chain to the, the, the finished uh, products. Um, so I studied um, organic agriculture, and then later I went to work for Michael Braungart, working at EPEA and really focusing on circularity and, and cradle-to-cradle, in, in complex uh, supply chains and, and especially textiles is a big favorite there because it is so complex and encompassing so many different uh, supply supply chain partners all, all across the world. So at GVK, I'm uh, very much involved in uh, uh, supply chains, uh, agriculture, but as well uh, our, our textile supply chains, trying to blend them, uh, merge them, let them meet, uh, meet together. Um, and um, yeah, I think uh, what what Anil was saying, what has been really interesting is that we are learning uh, so much. Like Rebecca said in in her really nice introduction, we are we are there in in various layers. So we are really there directly on the ground. We have a team of more than hundred and more hundred and more than hundred and forty five team members who are collaborating uh, directly with with uh, farmers on the ground. So we we really understand, or at least try to understand what what is happening really in in the villages, in the communities, where the real deal happens. Uh, like in our case, working with tribal, marginal, smallholder farmers, uh, maybe only a few acres that they would have, only one season per year, uh, only only rain fed. It's a, it's incredible, vulnerable story where especially when you look at uh, at climate change and and that is of course happening uh, these people will be the, the first ones who who already uh, notice it and and we can see that with with droughts or or delayed monsoon or or so forth um so yeah we we are definitely really excited because we feel it makes it possible for us to to connect things at a more holistic level which which we think is needed to address these current uh, challenges that we have from the field onwards uh, throughout uh, all the different layers. And in a way, you have introduced new layers to us. So we are we are definitely very grateful about that. Thank you. It's really, um, yeah, really exciting to be also learning from you all. And I think the need to find ways to integrate with the most vulnerable land stewards who also in my experience, are usually kind of the most important actors in terms of stewarding Earth in a lot of ways. 
um, yeah, so it's just really exciting to be able to collaborate on that. One thing I think I'd love to kind of learn more directly from both of you and maybe um, invite our listeners to understand. I only have a, a broad understanding of this, but I remember probably a couple of years ago reading several different articles about the large numbers of suicides that were taking place specifically with smallholder cotton farmers. Um, and I don't know if that's in the same area or in the same constituencies that you're working with, because I know India is a, a universe unto itself with many different peoples and, and locations. But, you know, it, it sort of piqued my interest in, you know, there's so many layers of that, but the the choice, because one is so in such a vulnerable place, and sort of like having the layers of challenges to choose to kind of like get out of that situation by taking one's life is a really heartbreaking story. And I'm just curious if if you could speak to that and how that relates to the work that you're doing. You, Gregory, you have touched upon a very important point. Yes, yeah, where we are working at this point in time is not, no exception. You know, also in Andhra Pradesh, United Andhra Pradesh, now it has been divided into two parts called Telangana and Andhra Pradesh. A lot of farmers have killed themselves out of, you know, desperation. If I put it in a kind of context, let's imagine there is a family and they have only one income source. And that income source is agriculture and they have only one crop per year. What they do, they scrape their livelihood from a very degraded slash eroded uh, land and they don't even have capital to buy seeds or to buy any kind of inputs. So this small family, maybe four to five people, they just go to a middleman because they cannot access any, uh, you know, formal financial institutions, uh, you know, to support them. So they approach these informal money lenders who are actually most likely very powerful people in that small um, uh, ecosystem. And then they go and they take money. Instead of, you know, giving money, they say, okay, we will provide you with seeds. Then they say, okay, we also provide you with all the inputs needed. That means chemical fertilizers, all chemical pesticides, fungicides, whatnot, all those things that are probably not needed and actually polluting uh, the environment and, and also damaging the very base of their their livelihood, that is soil. In this context, they invest a lot and then it's a gamble with weather. Last season, Gregory, we have seen three back-to-back -back cyclones within just one month. That's last number. So farmers lost all their crop, you know. November means that's the time when they, they start harvesting their cotton. That means all inputs all the income, all the expenditure is already incurred, right? When the crop is washed off, what do they do? They don't have any other means, you know, to generate their, uh, their, their, their income. So these middlemen charge a bomb. They can go up to 45 to 50% of interest, interest rate also. Then once a year that happens, so that means there is a huge accumulation of debt. And the next, I mean, subsequent season, if the same thing happens, you know, this small family can never find a way to step out of that, you know, back-to-back -back huge loss. And if it, if it happens, maybe the same way or even less or more, whatnot, 
third year also the that family will never you know step out of that vicious poverty cycle and then on top of that of course these middlemen will come back and say hey whatever the crop that you have produced you have you owe me a lot so here is the deal i am going to take your crop so they use faulty weighing machines and they even cheat they say okay we are handing you 5000 rupees they don't even hand you 5000 they 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 give only 4000 or 3500 rupees because you know these these people can't even count the currency in hand so when i look at the entire cycle of income generation or livelihood generation that is solely depending on you know weather especially in the context of climate change it's really 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 vulnerable while we also see that market is playing its very dominant role in you know in the beginning of the season prices are high once they start harvesting they slash the prices then farmer is helpless if i i am helpless we can't do anything this market is such a big thing and then on top of that we have these middlemen who are you know exploiting really bad right from the beginning so obviously these farmers find no no light at the end of the tunnel and they succumb to these very unfortunate suicides and yes in this region thousands of farmers have committed suicide that's why we want to really work towards you know driving a different kind of you know agricultural supply chain systems that do not focus on or do not depend on exploitation but depend on collaboration co-creation and for for good you know so we see that these agricultural supply chains are also creating a lot of environmental uh, degradation so the fundamental question is why should this be this you know food and fiber production be an evil can't we just make it in a way that it can create a positive impact impact instead so that's what we try to do here so could you speak a little bit to the shift from kind of the extractive degenerative model that you were describing that sort of breeds desperation and it breeds soil erosion and it it's decreasing it's sort of like ever decreasing the productivity and health of the whole system including the farmers the humans which we can as humans we can sort of feel that in our hearts how sad that is but also it's also very sad what's happening to the soils and you know to the larger landscapes so from that shift to sort of a regenerative approach where there's collaboration and there's synergy what are the key components to that transition what are the key ways in which that becomes possible um that you're working on right now and and yeah and maybe what's the role of payments for ecological health or eco crediting in the midst of that because i know it's multiple multidimensional i imagine there's forward contracts and sort of supply transparency and i i imagine there's a bundle of different instruments that are being brought together to help create that transition to a regenerative supply system okay yeah it's a very complex story but i try to put it in kind of uh, in simple way well what should we do here i think we need to move away from degenerative production system to regenerative production system that means not doing harm is not enough we need to rebuild and compensate the loss that has been uh, done in the past so what we try to do is we try to focus on building the very base of the entire story that is soil you know while the if the soil is regenerated that can harbor healthy plants healthy crop i would say and also healthy communities and then obviously leading to healthy markets so we try to regenerate soil how do we do that we try to first reduce 
If not zero, you know, if not uh, no tillage, we try to reduce tillage because it's still a challenge for farmers to go for no tillage. That's our dot the horizon, but we are trying to reduce tillage because when there is tillage, whatever the carbon that is available in soil or fixed in the soil is actually escaped into so into the atmosphere. That's that's not good. So on top of that, cotton essentially is grown as a monocrop. That means biodiversity is actually lost in these cotton production systems. What does that mean? That means biodiversity has a functional importance also. Any farm that is having only one crop is very vulnerable to any external shocks. It can be a pest or disease or you know cyclone, whatnot. And also that creates a lot of dependency on one crop. That means even livelihoods wise, it's not really a, a, a smart strategy. So what we try to do is we encourage farmers to grow more than one crop. So in the, in the radish system, what we're trying to do is we're encouraging farmers to grow nothing less than 10 different plant species, you know, to make the entire crop ecosystem as resilient as possible for both climate and also, you know, for market. So, so in addition to the sort of the ecological diversification that's playing a role in the health of the farm, and nutrient cycles, resilience. You're also saying there's support on the market side to be bringing multiple different crops to market out of that polyculture system. Absolutely. And, um, and are those food, uh, medicine, fiber? Um, what is it? Are you sort of templatizing in a specific way? I'm really curious about that specific piece of like how are you layering on the multiple income streams and what's your role are you marketing those like supporting in the marketing of those products as well to sort of guarantee um a little bit of income or yeah speak more to that it's i think that's really kind of at the heart of things it seems like you're right gregory uh, it's not just one thing as you said yes we when we look at the combination of uh, plant species we look at a lot of agronomical things like what kind of competition these different plants have at a root level, also canopy level, you know, that should be synergic, you know, they, they, they cannot compete and, you know, uh, damage each other. But at the same time, they should also go well with, you know, if, it, if one plant is susceptible to one particular uh, pest, you know, the other, other uh, crop plant should be selected carefully so that, you know, it is not actually acting as the alternative host to that particular pest. So there is a lot of agronomical factors that we consider. But what we popularly do here is, since cotton is a very exhaustive crop with its deep root system, we try to bring in plants like pulses, you know, that obviously uh, capture and incorporate nitrogen into soil. That's it's a kind of, you know, replenishment of nutrients in soil so that farmer doesn't have to depend heavily on external fertilizers you know that's that's one way of looking at it but not just that way once they they harvest their crop of course they sell cotton but at the same time other crops you know within within that ecosystem should cater to food security you know for the family you know they need to eat well so that they you know they, they need to stay healthy that's another angle to that and third angle is what are the marketable surplus they have in hand they should be able to sell in the marketplace to earn additional income Maybe it's also in a kind of synchronized way that, you know, the livelihood cycles are also smartly, rightly distributed across the year. You know, these are the things that we are focusing on. Yes, as an organization, you know, we are also uh, try, trying to support farmers in marketing. 
So we are promoting regenerative agriculture, but at the same time, we are also promoting farmer collectives wherein we aggregate, you know, the demand and supply so that they can have better negotiation power, so that they can have, you know, better income. And on top of that, we are also providing alternatives for, you know, their uh, rotation crops or mixed crops. So we are working on establishing strong market linkages for spices and other food crops that are grown along with our cotton. So it's like a holistic approach that we have because we see that having that fragmented approach is definitely not working, not just across the value chain, but also within the crop system, that fragmented approach is not working. Hence, we bring in that holistic approach. I feel like the, the layers of resiliency, it's something that, that, Tanya, that you and I have talked about quite a bit in the, the all the layers of this agronomic work, which is really what, you know, all of this is with pest and disease management and, and crop diversification yeah. and using conservation practices, creating that resiliency. But it, it, um, there's something that we've also talked about was that all of this work is important and critical as it is still doesn't quite meet the full need that's on the table for these smallholders. And so, even if you fully unlock all the potential, you know, agronomic improvements for these communities, there's still that need for more. So pursuing pathways and connections with different supply chains, but then obviously eco credits and what that could yeah. mean. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about the, the participatory verification pieces that you've been working on as they're looking at, at, We've been talking a lot um, about digging into what practices can be picked up by remote sensing and also using the technology that these smallholders might have access to. So tell us more about where that stands. So. Yeah, happily. So I, I can I can tell a bit about it. So I think in in, in the first place, uh, we are very interested in in uh, something like eco credits. Again, to see how can we. Um, how can that form an additional income stream to farmers? So how can it? Uh, of course, we we still we still we're still trying to figure out uh, should this go to individual farmer or should this go to community level? Um, like how how would we in a way distribute those those rewards that that we are still looking into? And we 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 will probably experiment with a couple of models. But our, our driver there is that a lot of these practices that Anil is describing, they are uh, absolutely great in terms for, for human and for environment, but they're also very labor intensive. So they, they also require a lot uh, from, the, from the farmer and from the farmer household, where maybe before uh, spraying a herbicide is, is, uh, is a, a, way, a way less tedious Thing than to than to manually weed, uh, for example, or to or to mulch or to compost. Uh, so we also really feel this this strong um, need to find holistic and, and multidimensional ways to to incentivize that that regenerative behavior, those regenerative practices, especially in those first years of conversion, where where farmers really have to go from conventional farming the way they have been doing it until now, and and we are. Um, asking them or inviting them for for regenerative organic practices and and again it's it definitely asks a lot a lot from the farmer also also in terms of uh, risk bearing capacity just imagine with the story that Anil told you're already very vulnerable and then somebody comes and and tells you what if you do it differently but you don't have any buffer or anything or anything to rely on other than 
this this person that keeps on visiting you and and uh, has proven it with with the neighbor uh, so that's that's definitely something that we are yeah we are looking at and in terms of uh, participatory verification and and practice based methods yeah we are we are really excited because um we have been looking into for example carbon credits for some time there we always get as a feedback that we are too small and we should be beyond 25000 hectares to be uh, at all interesting for any of these uh, uh, cowboys and we we are we are not uh, we are we're not there and we also doubting what will what will happen with with the data if we go along with such organizations but in in this case uh we we can we can have the opportunity to look at it in in a different way uh with uh reduced costs so maybe not relying on an expensive uh, third party verification verification which unfortunately also in our experience with organic certification is uh, not only expensive but uh should they should they come at all to visit the field and to do the audit how how reliable is that uh, that audit in the first place? So can we not organize that in a in a different way? Can can community members uh, participate in that? Um, yeah, who who can play a role in that so that we we do get something that is trustworthy, but it's uh, very accessible, uh, very low thresholds, very low cost, and still getting those outcomes that we're all looking for. And and that outcome is just to confirm that really that what we are claiming in terms of regenerative practices is happening underground. Uh, and in, in many cases, that is something that is very easy and very visible to verify. Uh, Anil was mentioning the mixed cropping system. Uh, yes, you, you can even already now in the field, you, you can see that besides the, the cotton uh, saplings, you, you already see the, the saplings of the intercrops uh, uh, germinating and emerging. So you, you would just go there, maybe even click a picture or write something in a logbook and say, yes, this farmer has done uh, intercropping. And then, of course, we can look at how to involve remote sensing in that in terms of percentages and maybe how, how successful was that intercrop and how much cotton you would have and how much... Um, non-cotton you would have growing i think there there are a lot of interesting possibilities that we want to explore uh, but but then combined with that really low thresholds just going there maybe maybe counting uh, taking a picture just really really seeing that and another thing that that is really easy to identify is the the burning of uh, crop residues which which makes a huge impact in terms of uh, emissions and is again something that is that is very visible not only on the ground but probably also uh, through remote sensing uh, so for yeah for us um, uh, participatory verification it's it's also about how to yeah how to make it accessible uh, bring that ownership back to the community they are the ones who who are doing uh, all the hard work uh, year round then why should we be spending, I don't know, how much percentage to one consultancy agency that, that might uh, visit one time and, and write an expensive report? So, so yeah, we, we also see a kind of um, positive or, or needed change in there, uh, where with the, with the technology and the opportunities of today, yeah, we, we, we can design something that is, that is still robust. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's a bit about what we... What we are aiming, what we are doing. Again, it's a lot of experimenting, but uh, yeah, definitely good. Yeah, that's fantastic. So the the things that I'm hearing are 
the evolution of more participatory verification to lower costs and engage the community actors in being able to collect simple data that that it sort of proves that the shift has taken place from you know uh, an extractive monoculture system in which soil health is decreasing and there's other sort of negative outcomes to a polycultural system in which soil health is starting to increase these are sort of simple things to verify um and also crediting and payment not specifically for carbon out of the gate but instead for sort of the holistic regenerative practices and the stewardship that's taking place is that an accurate summary of like where things are are moving indeed that that's yeah. right we, we i would like to put it this way we know that tribal farmers are taking care of 80% of biodiversity conservation across the globe that's one part another other part when we look at the fashion industry fashion industry is contributing 4% of global greenhouse gas emission while 70% of that 4% is actually rooted in you know these uh, primary uh, activities like production processing and preparation that downstream activities so if we drive change here that has a great impact not just in one dimension but multiple dimensions that is farmer incomes that means we can create reliable stable income streams not just from crop but also from non crop like eco credits that's one big benefit and second thing is yes soil can can be conserved while we have a serious risk of having maybe not more than 50 harvests uh, you know uh in this uh, remaining on this planet is really really a big catastrophe that we are heading to and soil conservation is not a choice for our existence this is the second dimension and third dimension of course we see that small farmers uh, animals fish fresh water is incredibly getting polluted by using toxic chemicals uh, yeah so we remove chemicals out of the equation in regenerative agriculture system that we are promoting here and of course we look at carbon sequestration you know agriculture alone can solve all the greenhouse gas problem in this world, in, in this world why can't we change the way we produce crops and then you know deal with it so definitely we see that agriculture can be a kind of a game changer if we do it correct so but how, why and how farmer can switch that game so this is in, this is really interesting uh, opportunity for farmers and organizations like gramin vikas kendram you know to tap into the new market instruments like eco credits you know that can uh, inspire and motivate farming communities you know to take care of nature even better and that can also have you know multiple effects ripple effects you know in the entire supply chain layers slowly we also see gregory that you know maybe the legislation is also moving towards being more responsible so that means in a way you know uh, region is actually promoting something that that is futuristic however this is very natural that farmers take that opportunity and have kind of more more encouragement to take care of nature because they are the ones who are working closely with nature than anyone else yeah indeed i'd love to be able to give full weight to what this work means and how it fits into the larger work of of the environmental stewardship initiative with with region and how 
GBK's work, this um, idea of, of participatory verification systems for um, incentivizing regenerative practices is something that multiple orgs are working on in various corners of the world um, with other partners in, in Cambodia and even in California and elsewhere in South America. And there's this moving, I would, I would really call it a, a momentum to gather around and collaborate around practice-based credits and how it can offer a complement or an alternative to carbon credits. So the the idea that there would be options on the table. So if, if someone wanted to pursue carbon credits, this could be an on-ramp and some of that portion would be tucked aside for different kind of like data collection to point to how regenerative those practices are. And then also if if carbon is too much of a pathway to pursue, then that offers a, a a really viable alternative in a lot of ways. But uh, I want to be able to point to and get your reflections on the still amorphous piece of this, which is the market piece. So we can all talk and, and figure out the science and the governance and framing of it, but we are all still talking a lot about the, the market aspect of it. So let's say, let's say hypothetically, we have a, a practice-based participatory regen, cotton, smallholder credit on the table. And how do we get that to market? What does that conversation look like to um, to do that side of the experiment? Um, Sana, uh, uh, can I say something? Then you can yeah. tell me. Uh, Rebecca, uh, before this, this meeting, we had a call with uh, a very well-recognized global brand. So the idea here is if we really want to attain what we want to attain here, I think the only way is, you know, joining forces. Of course, we all are divided, maybe geographically divided, technologically divided whatsoever, but we are all are sharing uh, one place, one home that is this planet Earth. So what we try to do differently here is we want to move away from transaction-based relationship to, you know, co-creation-based relationship, wherein we are inviting brands to come and participate in the entire, you know, change-making process on the ground. It's not that just brands come and say, oh, okay, this is the price and I'm buying it and then I'm off. No, they have to come and invest in farmer training and take care of whatever the challenges that farmers have to move from degenerative to regenerative agriculture and really support these communities who are very vulnerable to any kind of change process or any kind of weather, weather uh, abnormalities you know, be there and give them trust that yes, they are not alone in this in this shift, and then they not they don't they don't only buy a product, but also they invest even financially for farmer trainings. You know, all those kinds of activities that are very much needed to facilitate this entire paradigm shift on the ground. So here, these market players who are brands are not just you know buyer seller kind of uh, relationship, but they are also the change makers. So that's where we are trying to, you know, you know, redesign the relationships. But our vision is at one point in time, if we bring brands and end consumers so that, you know, they can also come and talk to farmers and, and share their experiences, they share, share their dreams. We believe that at the end of the day, we are all humans. If we connect at human to human level, you know, there will be a lot that is possible beyond science. That's why what we try to do is we bring these two unrelated ends together, that is producers and consumers slash brands, 
so that we can define new market instruments you know maybe in next 10 years to come there can be we, we are hoping to see a different kind of market you know that is based on collaboration co-creation based on the shared values and dreams of you know farmers and, and consumers that's when i think it will move not just carbon you know they may come up with their a lot of personalized uh, dreams so here region and gbk may, may be acting as the facilitator of something big you know in in in, in a good way but thank you very much one more time rebecca and gregory you have created that wonderful uh, you know uh, community of change makers uh, from different uh, parts of the globe who can again have horizontal exchange of knowledge and learn i would say we can test dr drastically different models i would say disruptive innovations and then immediately change exchange knowledge with our our, our other uh, uh, brothers and then maybe we come up with something that is feasible for everyone in, uh, you know in this value chain system so it's wonderful we are very inspired as a whole yeah i i would like to add something to that so um um i think for us we we would never develop that that eco credit or that methodology uh, without the supply chain stakeholders so without without uh, the brands to to really also align better uh, what what is it that they are looking for what is it that that we can offer what is possible from from the from the field what is what is happening so as an organization we are uh, working um, directly with uh, uh, with the brands when it when it comes to our, our cotton or our different uh, verticals trying better and better to understand what is it exactly that that um, drives them or what they are looking for so yeah so i would also say that uh, in the development of these of these credits of these classes of these methodologies we should we should definitely make sure that we involve all these different uh, stakeholders so that indeed we don't end up with a <laughs> with a product that that we are really happy and excited about but we we wouldn't have any uh, market player to to uh, invest in that uh, and on our side the the existing partners who are also buying the cotton are a bit the the low, the low hanging fruit to to start with to to have that conversation with or to have that exploration with and then of course take it uh, take it from there yeah i mean definitely agreed with that and i know that there are so several other community members in the region world who are working with brand partners on similar initiatives so i think it's exciting to start to see some cross pollination and an engagement there um could i ask who your brand partners are i'm curious are you feeling that they're sort of supportive and engaged in the design process and sort of leaning into understanding the need for kind of a next generation of transparency and um incentives related to these changes sort of vis-a-vis -vis their ESG commitments and other work that they I think probably most brands have made commitments <laughs> at this stage. Yeah, can you share a little bit about that? Yes, I think um, the real conversation about the the eco credits that's that's definitely the eco credits beyond carbon. That's definitely something that we that we want to start. Uh, I think for now we have been looking very much into how it could work and maybe us in the first place trying to understand uh, how that could be. Uh, because in, in all honesty, I think region really 
blew up and opened our minds that, uh, yeah, before we, we might have been thinking about uh, carbon credits, uh, biodiversity credits and water credits. And with, with the latter two, we were already losing audience. Um, and and now uh, in in a way with 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 uh, with region with with the kind of eco credits that we can develop together, it is an almost endless possibility of of what you could include and what you could uh, let that let it be part and also how you could customize it and like Rebecca was saying, uh, could you have that that tribal smallholder cotton farmer in in eastern guts credit that is that is really specific to to what it is that that we are doing so i think i'm really curious about uh that feedback from from the brands but but yeah we are we are working with uh different kinds so very varying from 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 the smaller ones maybe maybe startup to yeah really big established brands and what what we can see as a as an overlap is uh, all of them are really looking forward to longer term collaboration, uh, transparency, real transparency in the supply chain, and really having that in a way secured uh, supply chain where they would know this cotton comes from this village, this place, uh, year after year after year after year, and and uh, that you would know that whatever you are. Investing uh, is is also ending up in a in a specific place that can be that can be traced back, uh, especially with the also with the with of course the cotton fluctuations that have been happening. I see that there there's more and more a a wish to uh, get closer to the to the source, and that that is exactly what uh, what we are looking for. Yeah, I mean, I I know of several brands that are working on it and the the specific region network um, ecosystem partner that I'm thinking of is Terra Genesis International and and they've been working with a couple of brands on regenerative cotton certification and you know one of the things that's long been on my mind is the linkage between these environmental stewardship credits and scope three um, emissions accounting or what you know we might refer to as insetting right where you where you're not creating an instrument that's going to be st- necessarily sold as a offset, but you're making a transparent claim as a company around the reduction in emissions. And, you know, Anil, as you were saying, there's a significant amount of carbon emissions in, you know, in agriculture broadly and in the agriculture that supports the the textiles industry specifically. And there's an increasing need from a regulatory perspective for companies to do reporting which is sort of complementary, but a little bit different from the open voluntary carbon markets. But I think my sense is these, you know, sort of creating an instrument that can be used for carbon modeling and accounting within a corporate uh, setting, within a, a single supply chain for reporting purposes, and also can be used to measure impact and to engage with the customers of a company to talk about these are these are the outcomes and look look at the outcomes that have you know and so i think there's a really compelling transformation there that's my instinct is that there's something very exciting there but i agree that the design of those credits can only really happen in a participatory way that includes the brands and the farmers and the science community to 
just sort of come together and say, here is how we are going to, you know, create the monitoring system. But, you know, in some ways, I think that's a ritualization of people coming together. To me, it seems pretty clear, you know, as you were mentioning, it's not that hard to classify whether or not there's intercropping taking place. It's not that challenging to start anchoring in the the baby steps of these verification systems. What's harder is building the the system that kind of gets more and more accurate over time and more and more precise and really builds more and more robust information, both for the farmers and for the market about the health that's taking place. And, you know, I think we can do that together, um, you know, over time. Yeah, and I think I think what is interesting there is um, so again, if you look at at cotton as an example, if you look at cotton certification, what has happened, uh, let's say the past uh, two years, then you can really see that 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 an industry that was really built upon that that verification and giving that trust to the supply chain partners who are not directly there on the ground and who would need, in a way, uh, an extra set of eyes to to look into things that uh, uh, instead of uh, getting that trust and accountability and transparency throughout the supply chain, the, the complete opposite happened. So, so we have the, the biggest fraud that is happening uh, related to that third-party verification. So if you, if you could then take those out and indeed replace it with participatory verification and, and something like remote sensing, where in a way you, yeah, you, you don't need that... Uh, expensive uh, third party anymore that that in all honesty did not really bring a lot extra to the table uh, except for uh, for really high costs uh, especially let let's say organizations such as such as ours you would spend a lot, a lot of your money on on those uh, certifications so yeah i think it it just gives it gives a lot of new exciting ways to to take that ownership back and to yeah, at the end of the day, also if you look at us, we we just want things to be done in a really good way, and then we want that to to be seen and to be appreciated and to be uh, incentivized, so that it can be, yeah, carried forward and and scaled up and and can yeah can really create that that tipping point that we're all uh, looking for. Uh, when I look at the entire certification system, instead of encouraging farmers to convert themselves into a regenerative stewards, it actually appears like penalizing them. You know, it's a very complex system that has been built. Of course, creates a lot of value for one group or fewer few groups. But what does it, what does it mean uh, from the standpoint of a small farmer who is already dealing with a lot of problems? Definitely, he doesn't want to get into the, all the technicalities, black box, uh, uh, technical black box here. Uh, that means farmers are definitely not encouraged to move towards regenerative farm, uh, farming. On top of that, yes, it is expensive. And third thing is it takes a good three years of time, you know, where they have no support. And in addition to that, as they move from chemical to regenerative system, it's you know laborious, it's labor intensive. So uh, on-farm innovations that are definitely not supportive to small farmers, you know, who who want to you know change uh, the way they farm and to give away that chemicals, then he has to let's say if he he discards 
herbicides then what he has to do is together his, his with his wife he has to go to field and use his hands to take out all these weeds is it really helping actually not that's why a lot of farmers are discouraged to to change but it's in a way we really have to look at all those instruments and mechanisms and frameworks to encourage more farmers to shift into the system you know i'm sure there is a great potential for this kind of participatory verification system that can be rather simple and that that is not expensive but at the same time that that values the local conditions and the local culture and belief system by end of the day we put the power in the hands of the community because it's their lives you know so i think that's the beauty that we are actually looking forward to achieve through you know this collaboration with the region I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Anil, because it was um, a last parting thought on my mind was um, the decision making being in the hands of the communities themselves. It's their lives that are at risk. And that's another another layer of why I'm I'm personally um, really excited by this work, because this is this is the use case for how to have these land-based smallholder communities participate uh, in a DAO, participate as, you know, members of this community that we're building. So I'm um, honored to be working closely with you all and am moved by all of the work that you do and I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens over this next year in particular um, as we just dig in um, and keep keep collaborating. So thank you all for your time. It's great. I'm glad we can share your work um, with Wonderful. the community. Rebecca, the feeling is mutual. Uh, as Sana was, uh, you know, was, she kept on mentioning that you actually opened a new Pandora box for us, you know, then where we <laughs> see a forest of opportunities, you know. So <laughs> please welcome, you know, we love to invite you. It's not just you and, and you know, we both talk. Let's engage farmers in this discussion and see what kind of future that they envision, how best this collaboration between GBK and region can facilitate, you know, them to realize their own dreams. End of the day, we are only an instrument, right? But they are the real deal. So, yeah, thank you so very much for all the opportunities that you are creating. Thanks so much. I'm really excited about this work and how, yeah, how, how much it embodies the, the intention to put the power of the, the power back into the hands of land steward communities in defining how they want to continue to improve their ability to steward landscapes and produce all of the important things that they produce for the rest of society. So thank you. Thank you so much. Super. Thank you, Gregory. And thank you, Rebecca. Look, looking forward to talk to you again. Yeah. Ciao. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.